When I was a youth minister, I remember going on a trip with my young people, and uh, I began to share with them uh, some things about the Lord, and I wanted them to understand uh, the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. So I pulled out a $20 bill, and I reached out my hand, and I said, who will take this? Who wants this? And people just kind of sat there, they didn't, like they weren't really quite sure what to do. Was I telling the truth? Was I uh, putting them on? Or what was I doing? And finally, one young man reached up real quickly and grabbed it. He said, I'll take it. And, uh, and I said, well, this is what God has done for you. He has created uh, a gift for you through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for your salvation. But see, they weren't quite prepared to receive the gift. They didn't really know it was coming. God provided preparation for us in the Old Testament so that we would be ready to receive the gift of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for us uh, many years later. So God, God did this for us to prepare us. And Hebrews talks about the fact that in many different ways, in different times, God spoke to us through the prophets uh, and through uh, these pictures and types and so forth. But now he has spoken to us through his son. The Old Testament was a preparation for Jesus Christ. And so what I'm going to talk to you about today uh, is, is from the calendar of the Old Testament. The calendar of the Jewish people. And Moses, here in Leviticus 23, is letting the people know what's going to happen on their yearly calendar and what they, as God's people, were to do in response to these different holidays that they were to celebrate. But there's a really neat thing going on here. God, through these national holidays of Israel, is predicting the schedule of what Jesus would do in our redemption. Uh, the Sabbath is, is kind of a... They celebrated that all times of the year, but during the feast they'd celebrate it extra. That was a picture of God's rest, but the rest of these things that are talked about uh, are specific dates on the calendar that Jesus specifically fulfilled in his life. Now, uh, they were on a lunar calendar. That means they went by the cycles of the moon for their calendar, okay? We're on a different calendar. That's why Passover and Good Friday don't always match up. Uh, and Easter uh, and the, the Feast of First Fruits don't always match up. But uh, the time when Jesus died for our sins and was buried, was raised again, and uh, the 50 days afterwards when the Spirit was sent at Pentecost, all of that is predicted in Leviticus 23. And every single year the Jewish people would celebrate these feasts, they would be celebrating the future events of the Messiah who would come. And when Jesus actually did come, he died on the day of Passover. Uh, he was buried at the, at the time of, of uh, the feast of the unleavened bread. And he was raised at the time of the feast of first fruits. And the spirit was given at the feast of weeks, or the Greek word for the feast of weeks was Pentecost, because it was 50 days from the time of the feast of first fruits to the time of the Feast of Weeks. So God has predicted through this scripture his schedule for the ages. And we're just going to talk about the first coming of Jesus. There's also a section on the second coming of Jesus here. 
Uh, but look with me, if you will. I believe we need to recognize God's plan for our redemption, and we need to respond to it in faith. The title of my message is The Prediction of Christ's Work. Look with me at verse 1 of Leviticus 23. The Lord spoke to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and tell them, These are my appointed times, the times of the Lord, that you will proclaim as sacred assemblies. Work may be done for six days, but on the seventh day there must be a Sabbath of complete rest, a sacred assembly. You are not to do any work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord wherever you live. These are the Lord's appointed times. The sacred assemblies you are to proclaim at their appointed times. The Passover to the Lord comes in the first month at twilight on the 14th day of the month. The festival of the unleavened bread to the Lord is on the 15th day of the same month. For seven days you must eat unleavened bread. On the first day you are to hold a sacred assembly. You are not to do any daily work. You are to present a fire offering to the Lord for seven days. On the seventh day there will be a sacred assembly and you must not do any work. The Lord spoke to Moses. Speak to the Israelites and tell them, When you enter the land I am giving you and reap its harvest, you are to bring the first sheaf of the harvest to the priest. That's a feast of first fruits. He will wave the sheaf before the Lord so that you may be accepted. The priest is to wave it on the day after the Sabbath. And on that day you wave the sheaf, you are to offer a year-old male lamb without blemish as a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a grain offering to, to be uh, four quarts of fine flour, mixed with oil as a fire offering to the Lord, a pleasing aroma, and its drink offering will be one quart of wine. You must not eat bread, roasted grain, or any new grain until this very day and until the day you have brought the offering to the Lord your God. This is to be a permanent statute throughout your generations wherever you live. You are to count seven complete weeks starting from the day after the Sabbath the day you bought the, the sheaf of the presentation offering, the day of first fruits. Uh, you are to count 50 days until the day after the seventh Sabbath and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. So then he goes on to describe uh, the Feast of Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks. Uh, but the title of my message is The Prediction of Christ's Work. What did God predict concerning Jesus' accomplishments for us? He predicted several things. First of all, he predicted rest. He predicted rest. He talks about the Sabbath of complete rest. Uh, the Israelites had a whole lot of Sabbaths. They had a Sabbath every week. The seventh day of the week would be the Sabbath. Uh, then they would have Sabbath years. Then they would have the year of Jubilee, which had 49 years. The year of Jubilee, uh, they would free everyone who was in bondage, and they would uh, let people who had who had sold their land, it would revert back to the original owners. Uh, it was the, the, the Feast of Jubilee, or the, the time of Jubilee. And, and they had special Sabbaths uh, during the feast that they uh, celebrated uh, each year. And so uh, the Sabbath was a picture of rest. Jesus said to this, he said, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You see, Jesus supplies rest through a relationship with him. It's a spiritual rest that we experience when we live the Spirit-filled life. It's the peace that passes understanding 
Uh, it's the joy, unspeakable and full of glory that Peter talks about in First Peter. Uh, it's this relationship that we have with God where there's a spiritual rest. Have you ever been just distraught and, and worried and, and overwhelmed by the circumstances of your life and you come aside for time with God and you begin maybe to pour out your heart to God in prayer, maybe to read His Word and, and His Word speaks to your heart and as you, you pray you find the peace of God and you have spiritual rest in your soul. As a child of God, that's part of your heritage. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Some of you need rest. You need rest in the circumstances that you're facing spiritually. But then there's also future rest. Uh, and these Sabbath days were a picture of the future rest. Now, God told the Israelites, you're going to have rest when you go into Canaan. But that was just a temporary picture of the ultimate rest we'll receive one day. Because Jesus um, uh, fulfilled that, and David prophesied that. In the Psalms, he said, uh, there remains a rest for the people of God. David said, we're already in Canaan. But I'm telling you, there remains a rest for the people of God. And so Jesus Christ later uh, made that possible through his death and resurrection uh, so that we could enter into a relationship of rest with God. Now, the Sabbaths go through all the feasts. Every feast has Sabbaths in it, usually at least two, sometimes more than that. And it was a picture of that rest. Then uh, the, every, every uh, feast also has sacrifices in it. I don't know if you noticed that. If, you, if I'd continued to read, you'd have seen the Feast of Weeks also has sacrifices in it. It's a picture that God's great plan of the ages came about through Jesus Christ, and everything he gives us comes through the blood of Jesus. Everything. So God has supplied rest. He predicted that rest would come through Jesus Christ, his Sabbath. Then secondly, God predicted that Jesus would supply justice. So rest, now justice. God predicts justice would come through Jesus Christ. The first fe festival or feast of the year was the Feast of Passover. Verse 5 says, the Passover of the Lord comes in the first month. Now the Jews had two calendars. They had the religious calendar and then they had the, the uh, other calendar, the secular calendar that they used. This is the religious calendar. Uh, the very first month was celebrated, uh, the Passover. Now, the Passover was a time when the Israelites were coming out of Egypt. You remember, uh, they, uh, God told them the death angel was going to come through. Uh, kill the lamb, put the blood on the doorpost and the lintel. And you stay in your homes, and the death angel will pass over you, and, and your firstborn will be saved. And God delivered the Israelites from, Israel, uh, from Egypt uh, through uh, the time of Passover. And finally, Pharaoh's heart became cooperative with God, and they were able to go. But Jesus fulfills the justice of God for us. And the idea in the Passover was that the lamb was a substitute for the firstborn in the family. Jesus is a substitute for our sin. And through his death on the cross, God's justice was satisfied for us on our, on our behalf. Uh, Jesus said these words. He said, it is finished. Uh, the, the wrath of God was satisfied. The justice of God was satisfied uh, so that God could then pass over the sins of those who put their faith and trust. In Jesus Christ. So God brought justice. Aren't you glad that you don't have to receive justice if you're a child of God? You receive mercy. 
Uh, if you don't know Christ, you can receive God's grace and God's mercy by making a decision to repent of your sin or turn from your sin and put your trust in Jesus Christ. And the Bible says as you trust in Him, He will forgive your sin. And, and that work of, of God on the cross when Jesus died for us will be applied to your life and you will be justified. God's justice will be carried out on your behalf. So God predicts through this Old Testament calendar of events, He predicts rest, He predicts justice. Thirdly, He predicts purity. Purity. Uh, for seven days you must eat the, the unleavened bread. The Feast of the Unleavened Bread actually began the day after Passover, okay? Uh, and uh, they would have all these months ahead of time, they would be preparing for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They would go and they would uh, take everything that was leavened in their home. Any kind of bread with yeast in it, it was, it was out of there. And they would burn it, these big bonfires, they'd burn all of the, the leavened bread. And then uh, it was a tradition, they would keep a few crumbs of the uh, unleavened bread and they would spread it around the corner of the house and they would actually go through a ceremony where all the kids in the household uh, would join the father in going from room to room looking for any leaven. Is there any leaven in here? Any leaven in here? And they get all excited. They get the leaven and they go throw it on the fire when they found it. And it was a picture of getting all of the sin out of our lives. And the Bible does want us to live holy lives, but guess what? There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none of us good enough uh, to be righteous enough to be accepted of our own merit. But the Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Jesus had no sin. He was the perfect unleavened sacrifice, unleavened bread. Uh, his body was broken on the cross. Jesus at the Passover took the bread. You remember that? And he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is given for you. Jesus was the unleavened bread that was used in the Passover celebration and then in the feast of the unleavened bread. And it's a picture of his perfect purity. You know what happens when you put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ and God comes to your life. He wipes away all of your sin and he gives you as your possession, as a gift, he gives you the very purity of Jesus Christ. Doesn't mean that you're perfect, but it means that you have received this as a gift, that God treats you as though you live the perfect, pure life of Christ. Is that not a beautiful picture? Now, not only was Christ pure on our behalf, but it, it is also said in Psalm 16, you will not let your Holy One see decay. David prophesied years before Jesus was ever born that Jesus would not decay in the grave. Jesus' body was placed into the grave after he died on Passover, and it laid there as the feast of the unleavened bread began to start. And it was a picture Jesus' body did not corrupt. It was a picture of the fact that he was perfectly pure and holy. And God did not bring about that curse of, uh, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. You're going to return to the dust from which you came. God preserved him there in his perfect state as our perfect, pure substitute in our behalf. So they were celebrating the Feast of the Unleavened Bread as Jesus lay in the tomb. 
that second day, and that went on for a week. Uh, then, uh, this purity, not only does God bring purity uh, to us positionally, as the purity of Christ is credited to us, but he also helps us to grow in holiness. If, uh, if you're a child of God, you begin a process of growth called sanctification in your life when you become a Christian, and more and more, God helps you to become more like Jesus. Uh, and uh, Paul says, take out the, the old bread of leaven and wickedness and, and worship with the new bread of sincerity and truth. So it's a picture of the, the change that Christ brings to our lives as well. And so if, if you're a child of God, uh, know that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can live the holy life that God has called you to live. So make that choice. Can keep your sins confessed. Ask for the filling of the Holy Spirit. Surrender to him and trust him in your daily walk, and he'll live through you that pure and holy life that God wants uh, to, you to live. So uh, God predicts our rest. He predicts justice. He predicts purity. Fourthly, he predicts life. He predicts life. Um, look at verse 9. The Lord spoke to Moses, speak to the Israelites, and tell them when you enter the land, I'm giving you to reap its harvest. You are to bring the first sheaf of your harvest to the priest. Now, they would go out and they would prepare this. They would tie off uh, the sheaf that was going to be offered on the day of first fruits, the Feast of First Fruits. This happened the second day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and it also happened the third day after Passover. Hmm, sounds familiar. Three days later. Remember that? Three days later. The Feast of first fruits is taking place, and people are bringing the first fruits of their harvest to the temple to be offered to God. Jesus was our first fruits. You see, there were other people in the Old Testament uh, who had been raised from the dead. Even in the New Testament, there were others who were raised from the dead. Lazarus is one of them. But Jesus is the first one to ever be raised from the dead never to die again. He's the first one to be raised to life eternal. And the first fruits was the idea that the Israelites were worshiping God by bringing that first fruit of their harvest and were saying, Lord, we praise you for the harvest that's yet to come. Can I tell you, one of these days, those who are dead in Christ are going to rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. The first fruits is the promise of a harvest yet to come when Jesus Christ comes back to call his church to heaven. It's a beautiful picture. But Jesus rose from the dead on the third day, and because of his life and his resurrection power, we can live. He brought us life. Jesus said, because I live, you also shall live. I want to tell you something. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And he can bring eternal life to you even today. Jesus Christ has said, if you will confess with your mouth, Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that eternal life will begin. Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus. He said, Nicodemus, 
I know you're a religious leader, but Nicodemus, you must be born again. There must be a transformation take place, a new life come within you. Paul said it this way, uh, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. The new life that Jesus brings. Eternal life is just that. It begins when a person trusts in Jesus Christ. That eternal life begins. But then it is fully realized one day when Jesus comes back to get the full benefits of it, right? You have a down payment on your house, there's a whole lot left, isn't it? The Bible says the Holy Spirit within us is the down payment. His transforming work and His presence within is a down payment of what's yet to come. This life that we have now is just a taste of what's yet to come. Jesus rose from the dead on the day of first fruits, and He shows us that God will bring us life. Aren't you glad? There's life in Jesus' name. There's life in a relationship with Jesus. Um, I began to live the day I put my trust in Jesus Christ. I began to have a whole new life. God uh, showed me what living was all about. He gave me his joy. He forgave my sin. He took away my guilt. I began to live life. That's what God predicted, and that's what Jesus brought about. Life for those who will receive it. Can I encourage you, if you don't know Christ, receive it. Can I encourage you, Christian, if you do know Christ, walk in that life. Yes, you have that eternal life, but are you enjoying the benefits of it? Keep your sin confessed. Turn from those, those wicked things that you do and, and live your life for Christ. And what you'll find is that it just gets sweeter. God will bless you as you walk with him. And you'll, you'll have the fruits of that eternal life enjoyed in your day-to-day life. So God brings and predicts rest, justice, purity, life, and finally victory. I like this one. I might start preaching here. Uh, Verse 15. You are to count seven complete weeks, starting from the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of the presentation offering. You are to count 50 days until the day after the seventh Sabbath. Now, Jesus after he rose from the dead. And by the way, the Jews would always count from the day of first fruits to the, to the Feast of Weeks. They'd count 50 days. Seven weeks, and then on the, after that seventh day of the seventh week, the 50th day came, and that was the day of Pentecost. That was the day the Feast of Weeks began. And they would start counting from the time of the day of first fruits, the day that Jesus rose. Jesus had a 40-day ministry in which he taught and uh, encouraged his disciples after he arose from the dead. But then he said, go to Jerusalem and wait until the power from on high comes. And and he was talking about the the predicted prophecy uh, from the Old Testament where the Spirit would be given. Uh, He says, go and wait for it in Jerusalem. So the day of the Feast of Weeks comes, the the 50th day, the day of Pentecost. And they're, they're offering another offering from a harvest, a har- wheat harvest. first one was the barley harvest, now it's a wheat harvest. And they're offering these first fruits again. Uh, and they hear this, this rushing wind and, and this, they, these little flames of fire coming upon the people who are waiting in the, in the upper room. And this, this whole uh, work of the Holy Spirit, it's a picture. You see, in the days of Ezekiel, God gave Ezekiel a vision 
of the presence of God, the Shekinah glory going away from Jerusalem because of the sin of Israel. But he also showed him that one day it would come back. What did the Israelites remember in their history? They had the pillar of fire uh, that guided the Israelites in the wilderness, uh, the pillar of smoke that guided the Israelites in the wilderness. And now with this rushing mighty wind on the day of Pentecost, after 50 days after Jesus arose, the Holy Spirit of God comes to dwell upon the church, his people. And there are little tongues of fire over their heads. Never happened since that I know of. I've, never, I've not seen a modern-day tongues of fire movement. But why did God do that? Why did God allow there be a tongue of fire over the heads of these believers? Because he was showing that just as God's presence came down upon the tabernacle, just as God's presence came down upon the temple when Solomon prayed, so the presence of Almighty God through the person of his Holy Spirit descends upon the life of a believer who puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The very presence of God lives within them. That is the basis for our victory. We have God's presence within us. Paul said this, Do you not know that you are the temple of God? That the Spirit of God lives in you? You have God's presence. Ephesians says this this way, You have the power of the resurrection inside of you. The Spirit of God raised up Jesus from the dead. And the Spirit of God lives inside of you if you know Jesus Christ. That's the basis for our victory. He transforms us. He makes us into a new creation. When we're saved, when we put our trust in Christ, And then he continues to live in us and fills us as we surrender to him and ask him to fill us and lives through us to live the righteous and holy life God desires and to accomplish the work that God desires. Now, there's some interesting things about the Feast of Weeks. It was, a, it was associated, it was the end of the year, the harvest was coming in, it was a time of great blessing. They were rejoicing about the harvest. What did you see at Pentecost? Peter gets up and preaches, and how many people come to Christ? Over 3,000. That's a harvest, I'm going to tell you, that's a harvest. Then, later on, uh, they be, the Israelites began to celebrate the Feast of Weeks Because it was during the time when the Feast of Weeks was celebrated that Moses received the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. And so the Israelites would would remember this time, this very important time in their history when they became a nation. They became the people of God uh, at Mount Sinai where God uh, entered into covenant relationship with them. And they would rejoice in the fact that God had given them such a great blessing. Jeremiah, during a time of God's chastening upon the nation of Israel, he told them, he said, listen, you have disobeyed God. You've broken his covenant. I'm going to tell you what. God has said, I'm bringing a new covenant. And in this new covenant, I will write my law upon your heart so that you don't fulfill just because somebody says, hey, you're supposed to do this. No, you fulfill it because you have the desire to walk after God and to live for Him. Uh, it, it is written upon your heart. 
See, that's what Jesus did. Jesus said, this is the new covenant in my blood. When Jesus died for our sin and rose again, he, through his sacrifice, made it possible for the Holy Spirit of God to come live within us. And the Holy Spirit of God wiped his light upon our hearts. Now, we're not perfect yet, okay? Uh, but we have that desire. If you know Christ, you have a desire to follow Christ. You have a desire to live for him. The Holy Spirit of God has made you into a new creation and has given you a heart to follow God. You're not perfect. But one day, that old sin nature is going to be taken away when Jesus comes back. And it will be fulfilled completely. God has brought you victory through the coming of the Holy Spirit. Everything you need for the character of Christ in your life, He brings. Everything you need for victory as you serve Him, He brings. He's all you need. Remember that old song, Christ is all I need. He's all you need. He's given you everything you need for victory. Sound too good to be true? Well, God thought you might not be prepared for that. So he wrote down in the Old Testament law a calendar of events to say, okay, just in case you think, well, that's too good to be true, I'm going to predict the exact days on which these events will occur so that when my son comes to fulfill my plan for you, you will recognize it. And you'll say, that sounds good. I want some of that. And you'll receive it. That's God's heart for you. You're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ. Can I tell you, God has provided everything you need in Jesus Christ. He wants you to embrace him. He wants you to make a choice today to turn from your sin in your old way and to trust in Jesus Christ to change you and to forgive you and to save you and to give you eternal life. And he will do it. He's promised to do it. Maybe you're here today. And you know Jesus Christ, but you have not been living in the fullness of victory as his child. Can I encourage you just to come to this altar and say, between you and God, just confess, Lord, forgive me for this sin, whatever sin it may be. I confess it to you. Lord, fill me with your spirit. Lord, I want to surrender to you. I want to trust you in my day-to-day life and follow you. Let you live through me to accomplish the will of God in my life. Amen. And I invite you to do that. Maybe you need to come to this altar and tell me this. Maybe somebody has come to this, this time and, and God has, has given you a sense in your spirit that you need to be a member of this church. God's called you here. And you need to respond to that. Uh, I'll be standing here. You can come and tell me that, about that. Maybe God has, has calling you to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. Uh, I'll be standing here. You could come here. But especially if you don't know Christ, I'll be standing right here. Would you come up here as, in a moment here as we begin to sing? Uh, I want to ask you to come. And I want to talk to you about the Lord Jesus, make sure you understand, and pray a brief prayer with you. Uh, and, and you can, from your heart, you can say, Lord, I'm ready to turn from my sin and put my trust in Jesus.